mommy and daddy are a couple in their own right. And we have needs. And one of our needs is to have time together. Hey, mama friend. I'm Amy Cothran. I've been a stay-at-home mom for the past seven years, and I discovered that the best way to raise our future generation is by building up the moms who are home with them. Mama Mindset is a movement, a mission to build a community of stay-at-home moms who want to improve their lives. This podcast will provide inspirational stories from myself, everyday mom guests, and interviews with experts in various fields. The conversations are packed full of authenticity, vulnerability, raw honesty, and tough love. So let's journey through motherhood together with a mama mindset. Hey, sweet mama. Welcome back to another episode of mama mindset. I'm your host and creator, Amy Cothran. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're listening to this in the order that they come out or the day that it comes out, it is Christmas Eve, Eve. It is the Thursday before Christmas Eve. And I'm really excited to be in your ear, in your headspace today, as we're working on leveling up our life, growing a little bit by that 1%. And today's amazing, amazing guest will absolutely do that for you. I encourage you to grab a pen and paper. And I know that I tell you to do that a lot, but it's because We want to take those action steps, right? It's not enough to just listen to this. We want to actually use what Julie gives us suggestions for and take action. Even if that ends up being ordering her amazing book, which I'm, I never do this to just sell a book or anything like that. This is absolutely to bring you content, bring you something that you learn from. And today is a topic and a conversation that all of us moms can learn from and improve on. And I don't care if you're a mom or a dad or an entrepreneur, a work from home mom, a stay at home mom, we can all improve in this way because Julie is a conversational coach and she just self-published a book, which is navigating and avoiding awkward conversations. And I, I can't believe some of the conversation that we had in this, in this episode, you will absolutely walk away feeling more confident in having a tough conversation with your mother, having a tough conversation with your friend, having a tough conversation with your spouse. You can navigate that. We talk about how the fight or flight mechanism of our bodies, which is a full body chain reaction that happens. That's what happens when you have heavy, heavy breathing, you're sweating. You feel like you're going to hyperventilate or throw up or your eyeballs are going to pop out of your head. All of these happen in fight or flight mode, which is what happens when we start to have these conversations, these tough or awkward, uncomfortable conversations. Julie walks us through all of that. She gives us tips on how to calm down that fight or flight. We talk about brain fog. We talk about that, which is a real thing. She gives us an anatomical answer to brain fog, why we have it, how to embrace it, how to shift from mom mode to wife mode to friend mode. How do we navigate social settings when we're so used to navigating settings with our toddlers or children? She is incredible. She's an incredible wealth of knowledge based on her past experience. She has no formal training, which I absolutely love in this. This is all based on tough conversations and awkward moments that she's been in 
as a wife, as a mom, and as a servant to the elderly when she's doing in-home physical therapy, okay? She is helping those who we love more than anything in the world, and she knows how to navigate those tough conversations. So grab a cozy beverage and join me in this conversational journey with Julie. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation today. Thank you so much for reaching out and wanting to bring your expertise and knowledge to my amazing mom listeners. So before we get started too much in that, um, can you take a couple of minutes and introduce yourself, who you are and kind of what you're doing? And then we'll dive into dive into this topic that we've been anxious to, to chat about. Absolutely. So I am currently a physical therapist and I primarily work in home health, which with our beautiful, sweet, oldest population and and a lot of times the most sick population. And I love those people so much. And as I was going through school, I worked retail. I worked collections. I did a lot of jobs just to pay the bills and, and make it through. And over that period of time, I acquired a lot of skills that for me were just out of necessity. I was trying to keep my job and, you know, keep people from yelling at me. And that was really my only aim at the time. And then I got involved with this group of ladies at the beginning of the year who were all about the up level. They were all about you know, going and doing new things, going into stores they've never been to, uh, trying out new restaurants, finding more exotic locations for vacations, self-development, better lipstick. I mean, just anything. If it was was an upgrade, they wanted to know about it. And the difficulty that they were having was putting themselves in these really novel situations and then getting overwhelmed and uh, very self-conscious that they didn't feel like they knew what they were doing. And they felt like, um, you know, that they were very intimidated to go about it. And I was just naturally answering a lot of questions, uh, giving a lot of tips, because as the person who'd been on the other side of the counter in a lot of these situations, I just knew what would what would come across better and what would come across a little awkward. And Mm -hmm. started creating these these posts that I was calling awkward conversation posts. And I was just kind of presenting these scenarios and saying, if you run into this, instead of saying this, say that. And I would have the awkward comment and the replacement comment, you know, don't say it this way, say it this way. It'll come across a lot better. And I was just getting this really, really great amount of feedback. I was getting people you know, DMing me and saying, I just want you to know, I always look forward to your posts. These are so helpful. I really appreciate it. I had people who uh, English was maybe not their first language saying these posts are helping me so much because I don't feel confident in my English language skills. And these posts are helping me to feel more comfortable with what to say to other people. I had uh, one girl that she said, I have Asperger's and I feel so uncomfortable in a lot of social situations because I'm never sure exactly how to come across in the way that I mean. And these posts that you're putting up are helping me so much. Thank you. And it just opened up this whole Pandora's box for me that I thought I had no idea that these skills that I had just simply learned for myself 
could be so very helpful to other people. And it just kind of uh, eventually got to the point where I thought, you know what, I really want to write a book about this. I really want this information to be out in the world because it's so it's not that complicated, but if somebody never says it to you or explains it to you or puts that information out there, it can be so overwhelming. And I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. And I, this is something that I really feel called to do. So I created, I wrote a book that came out in September called Navigating and Avoiding Awkward Conversations, How to Speak to Anyone About Anything. And it covers such a wide array. So it goes, part one is really just the conversation basics, how to socialize well with people, how to sound well-spoken, how to come across in a really good way to people that you're just meeting. The second part is called Dealing with Conflict. And so it goes over a lot of different scenarios where conflict may arise and how to best handle that, um, how to best go about it. It goes a lot into mindset and boundaries and, you know, approaching the situation compassionately, uh, but, but in control of the situation, you can have compassion for someone without letting them run you over. Mm -hmm. And then the last part of the book is called caregiver burden, illness, and death, because my work in healthcare had brought about a lot of these really difficult conversations uh, in regards to things like cancer and Alzheimer's and the overwhelm that can come from being the primary caregivers for someone and grief and realizing how many of my patients I was having to comfort because the way that the other people in their lives had spoken to them or interacted with them had actually just made it worse Mm -hmm. and that they very isolated and they felt unable to express the pain or hurt that they were having. And, and I know that in those scenarios, it can, it just comes from a place of discomfort. You're uncomfortable with the conversation. You don't know what to say. So you either say nothing or you try to just maybe make a joke and wrap it up and move on or try to just tell somebody it's not that bad, or I'm sure it'll be fine. Or don't, don't be so upset. And those, those things are not helpful. So it was just so important to me to put it out there to other people of how to lean into these conversations instead of running away from them, because there's absolutely a way to go about it where you can speak your truth, where you can express your needs, where you can meet someone else where they really are, if they're overwhelmed or they're upset or they're angry, and you can connect with them instead of running away from it or just trying to overwhelm them into, you know, stopping whatever it is. Don't yell, don't cry, don't be upset. Mm -hmm. We just try to shut it down. And there, there is definitely a better way. So that was, that was my goal. From the book. That was your goal with the book and getting that out there. Yeah. And as you're talking about this, I'm just, my brain is going off onto like 20 different situations that I could have used this assistance with (laughs) probably just even within the last stinking year. Um, (laughs) so I love that you're putting this out there for a tool and a resource for people. Um, and it's new. So like you said, it's, it's newly out there, brand new information. Um, I haven't come across anybody that's having these conversations with people that don't know how to have conversations. So I'm so excited. Congratulations, by the way, for publishing your first book and, you know, taking massive action on something that was calling you and speaking to you. I'm really looking forward to 
diving into how these conversations pertain to us as women moms, particularly stay-at-home moms. And you were a stay-at-home mom for a while, right? So you have two boys and you're a stay-at-home mom. At what juncture were you a stay-at-home mom? So from the sixth month of my pregnancy with my first son, Mm -hmm. um, I transitioned into being a stay-at-home mom. I stopped the job that I was doing because that was my goal was to stay home. And I, uh, I did have my pregnancies come one on top of the other. So, um, the first one was born. And then three months later, I found out we, he was going to have a brother (laughs) and we didn't know at the time it was a brother. Uh, and so I was able to stay home through that entire pregnancy. I was so grateful to be able to stay home for that entire time. And then, uh, when the second one was born, I was able to stay home for another four months until I started grad school. So I actually started grad school when the boys were 16 months and four months old. Mm -hmm. And that the point that I had to transition away from being a stay-at-home mom. Um, and it was so difficult. It's, it's difficult either way. Being a stay-at-home mom is not easy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was, it was hard to be away from them when I was so used to being there. And I enjoyed that so much. Yeah. You don't come across to me as a woman that, um, doesn't her pursue the things that you're interested in, in our kind of pre-chat before we were recording, you have all of these amazing, incredible things that you've done in the past and things that you want to do moving forward. And that's super inspiring for me. Just, you're like, I'm going to do this and, uh, and then it gets done and I want to do this and it's going to get done. So, um, I love that, but you're right. Like the, the stay at home mom life has its challenges. Working mom has its challenges. Leaving the kids has its challenges. Um, going back home. If you've been, if you've been working and in a career, I mean, it's all, challenging and we all, we choose our heart, right? We choose what our heart is. And so, um, but I'm, I'm excited you're bringing this. So are you still working as a physical therapist as well as doing all of this coaching and writing this book and mom life and, uh, wife life (laughs) and homemaker and oh my gosh, good for you. Good for you. Do you feel, how are you handling that? Do you feel like you're running ragging some days? Yeah, I I think that over the years I have become better at expressing my needs. Okay. And has I mean that's something I hope you know I think we're going to get into today but that is really the linchpin for me is being able to recognize my needs which is the first difficult thing. Sometimes you're so busy go 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 that you don't even realize how tired you are or how overwhelmed or uh, how much you really just need a nap or need a date night or need a meal. Sometimes you're so busy going that you forget to eat. And then, you know, and then you're trying to literally run on empty. And so being better at recognizing what you need and being better at expressing those needs to the people who can help you to support you makes all the difference because, uh, Yes, you're absolutely right. I'm that person that goes all out. I'm at a 10 out of 10 all the time and um, slowing down, taking time for myself, uh, saying no are all things that I have had to put massive amounts of effort into learning and learning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. It's So how do you, how do you do that within your household and how do you suggest other moms do that? Cause that's something that we do talk about on the podcast a lot. And I'd love to hear um, your, what you've learned and, and what you suggest. 
So I would say, of course, at first it starts with your spouse, especially if your children are young, you know, you can't sit them down and say, mommy's had a hard day. I need you to, uh, you know, entertain yourselves for an hour. You know, that's not going to work when they're little, little. Uh, So first it really does have to come down to your partner and, and learning how to, to do that very difficult dance of meeting each of your needs, because your partner also has needs and being able to have those conversations of how are you doing? I like, we need to check in with each other right now. How are you feeling? And my, my husband and I do that a lot. It's actually our uh, 14th anniversary next week. Mm. So we've been at this for a while and we have definitely learned how to be better at doing those check-ins where we just, you know, sometimes we go to the other person, maybe because we're overwhelmed and we need to initiate that conversation, or maybe we just recognize that the other person doesn't seem to be doing as well as, as they normally would be. Maybe they just look stressed or they look tired, or you're trying to have a conversation with them, but they seem really spaced out and you're just going, are you okay? Like, let's, let's just stop for a second. Like what's going on right now. And, uh, we've had so many transitions in our marriage with, uh, you know, him going to school full-time and working full-time me being a stay-at-home mom. And then it flipped where he was staying home with the kids. I was working full-time. Now we're in this phase where I'm working full-time and I'm doing all this other stuff, but he's actually going back to college full-time right now on campus and everything. And I mean, this semester has been crazy for us and we've had to do like weekly check-ins. How are you doing? Are you okay? What do you need? Mm -hmm. And having to just express, okay, well, I don't feel like I'm getting enough sleep. Well, I have been eating like crap lately and I can tell that it's starting to really affect my energy. I just feel bad or I haven't seen you. That was, that was a conversation we had to have about two weeks ago. My husband was coming up on finals week and having gone to college for a million years myself, I just, I automatically gave him a ton of space because I just knew that when it was me going through that, I didn't have time for anything except getting through finals. And so I was stepping away and just giving him tons and tons of space. Um, But because of things from his childhood and, you know, a lot of other reasons, giving him too much space can cause a really big problem where he Mm -hmm. starts to feel almost abandoned or like something bad has happened to somebody. And he came up to me and he said, look, I've been trying to keep this to myself, but I'm in a really, really bad place right now because I'm not seeing you. We haven't been on a date in forever. I don't feel like we've been able to talk to each other. I just, I don't feel like I've had any time with you at all. And I was like, let me call my mom and see if she can keep the kids. Let's do a date night, you know, Mm -hmm. but we both have to do that for each other. And I think initiating that conversation, what do you need and being a better understand what you need. I need some, for me, sometimes it's space. A lot of the times for me, it's, I need space. I love you. I want to spend time with everybody. I'm trying to do a million things, but I'm actually really close to burning out right now. And I need two hours of just locking myself in my bedroom and, and everybody leaving me alone. So I can take a bath and read a book and do some yoga and just relax. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's, that's where it comes from first. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's a way, Julie, to not approach a conversation like that? So let's go, let's talk about it from the other standpoint of like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know that you and your husband need to have a check-in. So when is, how do you not, how do I word that? I'm trying to think the best way I word that, like, like we talked about, you know, you, you do need to check in with them, but is there an an appropriate time when isn't an appropriate time? How do you, how do you say it? This is definitely not how you say it. Don't do it here. Don't do it. How, you know, so what, what do you think about that? Yes. Um, I think that there is definitely going to be some nuance depending on your partner's personality mm-hmm. and how they respond. So I know, and I had to learn this the hard way that if my husband is in the middle of doing something and I try to initiate any kind of conversation, uh, he tends to get really frustrated because he is laser focused on what he's doing. And if I'm trying to split his attention between what he's doing and what I'm trying to talk to him about, he just gets really frustrated by that. And it doesn't go over well at all. And what we've learned to do with each other, because I can be that way too. If I'm on a task and you're trying to take me off that task to have a conversation, my anxiety starts to climb so fast that it's not going to be a great conversation. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like that pre-conversation where you say, I really want to talk to you. Is now a good time? Or can we, can we, you know, sit down later and talk to each other? And we usually have like a (laughs) pre-conversation where one of us will come up to the, the other one and say, I, I really need to talk to you about something. It's pretty important. I'd really like to talk to you about it today you know, when can we do that? Mm -hmm. And coming up to me and I might say, well, I've got four charts that I've got to finish up from work. And then I've got to call my patients for tomorrow. And then let's put the kids to bed. And then after that, I'm all yours, Mm -hmm. you know, or he, or I might come up to him and say, I really need to talk to you today. You know, when can we make that happen? And he might say, I've got this project. It's really time sensitive. I've got to get it wrapped up. But then why don't we go to dinner and let's talk at dinner? And so making sure that you're both in the space to have that conversation is really helpful. And then as far as the don't, you always have to keep in mind those those very basic skills of not attacking the other person, not letting your anxiety spill over and start turning into accusations and anger and frustration, not saying I'm stressed out and you don't even seem to care, or I'm overwhelmed right now and nobody's paying any attention to that. Or you haven't watched the kids all week. What do you mean? You're asking me to watch them right now while you go do whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you're feeling that way, we, we jokingly say that we're putting ourselves in a timeout. Like I need a timeout for about 10 minutes. And Mm -hmm. then I back and have this conversation. Um, you know, but for us, it's turned a lot into those, it's like a temperature check. Can we have a conversation? I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now and being able to name those emotions. So maybe he comes up to me and says, Hey, um, can you watch the kids for, you know, can you take the kids to go get their haircuts today? Because I actually have this project And that was not what I was planning on doing. I don't handle last minute plan changes very well. Mm -hmm. So I might have to say, I hear, I hear you that you're telling me you need me to take the kids. I'm going to be really honest. 
that is super overwhelming to me right now because that was not what I was planning on doing. I was planning on doing this over here. Can we, is there any other way we can do this? Is there a different way we can work this? Instead of just going, I can't believe you did this. I, you knew that I needed to do this. You never take them to get their hair cut and just letting past frustration or lots of feelings mm-hmm. start to bubble over and be, you know, it's, it's got to be brought back to, I am feeling overwhelmed that you just asked me to do that. I'm feeling really stressed out because I don't have the time to do that. And maybe the option is we have to cancel their haircuts and reschedule rather than force it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like when you, like in the second scenario where you're like bringing up past stuff and then also kind of coming at them with that, like attacking tone, people shut down. Your, your brain from the receiving end shuts down, but, Mm -hmm. but essentially what you think you're doing is saying the same thing as, as your Mm -hmm. first example of this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling incredibly overwhelmed, but, Mm -hmm. but your tone and your attitude towards it is going to be received much more openly. And if they receive it, they understand it and they feel it. But if you come at them like attacking, I feel like at least for me, my defense goes up and I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. I'm not learning anything from this. And, and, you know, really like Brad's, I say that, but really I'm usually on the other end of attacking because he's so calm and I'm the one that is usually the one expressing, you know, more emotion stuff. So I have to do that. I I have to be very intentional with Mm -hmm. take a breath. Mm -hmm. This is how this is making me feel right now. I am frustrated or I am, I am overwhelmed. Like you said. And then from there, we'll actually have a conversation and he receives it, but he is because of his personality. If I just come at him like, you know, a bull and I just say, well, you never do this. And I wish you wouldn't have done that. And I'm super angry right now. Then he's like that we don't grow from there. So, um, so what I'm hearing is having that pre-conversation to set up a conversation probably when the kids are in bed or a time when the kids aren't around. Am I I gathering that? Because something that I run into a lot is we think we're in a good place to have this conversation if the kids are playing okay, but then they come, I need help with this puzzle piece, or can you get me a drink of water? Or, you know, Lily's only two. So she comes in and just screams for whatever reason, you know, and then you get pulled away from what's supposed to be a very, um, Mm -hmm. um, intimate and honest and open conversation. And my anxiousness gets ratcheted up. And so, I mean, would you suggest trying to carve out that time, that pre-conversation chat, to schedule a time, basically schedule a time when the kids are in bed, you think, I mean, is it possible to have a conversation when the kids are around or is it like, eh, maybe just not even try and navigate that? Uh, we do joke with each other a lot where we say, you know, well, we'll talk to you in 18 years. I'll, you know, we'll have this conversation in 18 years. We definitely do joke about that a lot. Um, for us, of course, when they're so little that they they have no reasoning skills. I mean, children don't develop reasoning skills until they're a couple of years old. So you can't expect a one-year-old to understand you when you say, mommy and daddy need to have this conversation. Um, and sometimes it can be really helpful in those instances to recruit grandparents or friends or you know, the kids, aunt, uncles, or somebody, or hire a babysitter. That was something we could not afford for 
several years. I mean, our children were probably five and six before we could spare 20 bucks for a babysitter. So that, you know, that's why I don't bring that up first, but sometimes it's worth it to say, we've got to call somebody to watch the kids because it's that important. Uh, But with our children, we boundaries with your kids is something that's also really important to me. And something that we have instilled with our children really from the beginning is this sense that mommy and daddy are a couple in their own right. And we have needs. And one of our needs is to have time together. So we will sit the kids down when they were younger and we couldn't afford a babysitter and we didn't live close enough that anybody could take them for a date night. And we were just kind of stuck with what we had and what the kids would let us do. Mm -hmm. Sit them down and say, listen, mommy and daddy need to have a conversation and we need you guys to give us the space to do that. You guys need to let us, we're going to go in our bedroom and lock the door. You need to not knock on the door. Don't come and bother us. If the door is locked, you need to go back and play with your toys. You know, we would put on the TV, do it. I mean, when they were toddlers, I'm like TV, snack, passy, blanket, Mm -hmm. 14 things to entertain you. But I still would sit them down and say, me and daddy need to talk about something. And it's very important. You need to give us a few minutes to have this conversation. And we would shut the door. And if they persistently were knocking or banging on the door, I would open the door and I would say, honey, mommy and daddy are having a very important conversation right now. You need to give us some time to talk to each other. I'll be with you in a minute. And I would put them back in that room. And I was, we've been very insistent about that from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And even now our boys are eight and nine now. And if it's important, you know, we, we don't have any problem telling our boys, we need to have a conversation. It's very important. We need you guys to give us some space so that we can talk about this mm-hmm. and go in our room and lock the door if we need to, or, you know, and we're very involved with our kids. I mean, we're definitely attachment parents. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that our, our relationship has to be very important. It has to be high on our priority list. Cause if our relationship disintegrates, what in the world is our family built right. on? You know, so we've just always really valued putting that boundary up with our kids when we need to. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned something. I want to go back a little bit. Um, first of all, I think that's amazing. And it's something that we are trying to continuously work on. I mean, I know we have areas that we can improve on it for sure, but I am in a hundred percent agreement that um, boundaries with our children gives us space to also be better parents. And so you know, and, and back when I was a, like the kids were really, really young and I was just starting out as a mom, you know, you see all the memes and I can't even go to the bathroom by myself and blah, blah, blah. And it took me a long time to realize there's a reason why there's a lock on the door. You can um, lock the door, even if something as simple as that, like there is okay. no reason why you have to continuously have your children in the bathroom with you, you know, yeah. and now Granted, yes, they come in the bathroom with me on occasion and that's fine. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if you're finding yourself resenting your kids or Mm -hmm. getting upset about it or angry, like locking the door is okay. And I love that you're giving us all that permission to do that. Even with your spouse, like I can lock the door to my bedroom. I can set my kids up for success. And then 
consistently work on it because you're teaching them that, right? It's not going to be like mommy and daddy need to have a conversation. We're going to lock the door and then everything's going to be all hearts and rainbows. And you're going to have this 45 minute beautiful conversation. It's going to, it's going to take time and, and you just kind of have to approach it with intentionality like day, you know, the first time you do it, Mm -hmm. I say day one, but the first time that you do it and then stay Mm -hmm. consistent with that every single time. Mm -hmm. And then slowly and slowly, it'll get a little bit easier and a little bit easier. So, um, I want to go back a little bit and talk to you about asking parents or invite, you know, and asking for help and and how do we handle those conversations? Because I'm, I'm going to be super transparent here. I am in the, I am in the situation where it's very difficult for us sometimes to ask for help. And, um, I'll kind of just do a precursor that my folks and Brad's folks all still work. And Mm -hmm. so in that standpoint, from that standpoint, I understand Mm -hmm. they have busy lives. They're not retired hundred percent. And, but it would be nice to be able to ask for help without questioning and, and pushback and things like that. So can you talk to me about that? Because we talked about that a little bit before we started recording. So do you want to share your experience and maybe what you would suggest in a situation like that? Yes, this is something that has been a huge difficulty for us. I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I see people whose the grandparents are super involved, I, I get jealous. I'm not going to lie. I get so jealous because it's such a wonderful, amazing thing. And it's, it's exactly how I picture myself being when I have grandkids one day. And the reality for us is really the opposite that we don't have that kind of support. And it's so surprising to me and really disheartening and frustrating. I've had to process a lot of emotions around the fact that um, my parents have not been involved grandparents. It's very much the opposite Um, for my husband's parents. He doesn't have a dad. That's all we're going to say about that. But his, his mother lives in a different area Um, She's had a really hard life, even though she's of retirement age, she still works around the clock. She works a job where she's working nights and weekends. It's just not practical for us to see her. It's really, we only see her once a year, maybe it Mm -hmm. just, there's a lot of reasons why, but we'll just say that's not an option for us. So we're doing what my parents can provide. And my parents have been... Um, full-time working all the way up until last year, my dad did retire early because of, you know, a wreck he had that left him a little bit on, you know, disabled enough that he could not work, Um, still able to function around the house and things like that, thankfully. Uh, But for us, I mean, I would ask my mom, Hey, can you watch the boys? And her response would be, Oh, um, uh, I mean, I guess, yeah, I could, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could do that. And I'm like, I haven't asked you to watch them. It's been like eight months since I've asked you to watch them and you live 10 minutes from me and you're acting like this is the most inconvenient thing in the world. And it really hurt my feelings. It was really frustrating. Um, but for the longest time I suffered in silence 
about it because I wasn't willing to confront my mom about this behavior. I didn't know what to do. There was a lot of guilt. You get these thoughts in your head where you're like, well, they didn't decide for me to have a baby. I'm technically the one that decided to have a baby. So is it really fair for me to expect them? Mom guilt, mom guilt, mom guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always bring it back to you that it's really your fault that you had kids. And so you can't expect other people. And I had to have a total mindset shift on that where I just said, this Yes, my mom did not decide for me to have kids, but these are her kids. And for more than that, I think that if we look at it through the eyes of advocating for our children, it's often way easier to have those hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Truly, my kids only have one set of grandparents, really. Right. And my parents. And if they're never seeing them, how I had both sets of grandparents and they all four of them were so involved in my life. And it was such a blessing growing up. So when I think about my, my kids missing out on that, it, it gave me the courage to eventually have that conversation with my mom. That was overwhelmingly difficult for me to have because my mom and I've always had a little bit of a, a difficult relationship. And I finally set her down and said, mom, this really, really bothers me that you are not more involved with my boys. And she was like, I'm involved. And I said, you're really not though. Like you don't, they, at that time they were six and seven, seven and eight. Mm -hmm. Nikolai is eight years old and he has never spent the night at your house. Not one time, never. And what's more than that, you have never kept him a single time that it wasn't my idea. He is eight years old. And in his entire life, you have never been the one to initiate asking for him to come over, asking to watch them, asking to spend time with them. You've never done that. Mm-hmm. She tried to put it back on me. She tried to put it back on. Um, well, you know, I just, I feel like I can't trust you guys because when you drop the kids off, you just stay gone forever. And I said, mom, that is untrue and it's unfair. First of all, you only watch the boys maybe twice a year. So yeah, when we have a date night, we're going to enjoy that date night. We're not going to be gone for one hour. It's the only date night we're getting. Cause like I said, for the longest time, if we, we couldn't afford a babysitter. So if it wasn't free, it wasn't being had mm-hmm. said. And second of all, that is highly unfair for you to say that we're gone for forever, because I think that the most we've ever left the boys here was three hours. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that is not fair for you to put that on me and to try to respond to this conversation. Like I'm irresponsible because I am absolutely not irresponsible with this. And I mean, I had to take it one step further. I mean, I had to really say, mom, you are the only grandparent that my child really has in a, in a practical, real way. You're it. And if you don't have, if you don't spend time with them, who's going to, and if you don't spend the time with them now, I said, he's, he's eight. I mean, how much, how many more years do you feel like you have here? He's not, I mean, how old is he going to be before spending the night with his grandmother is absolutely not on his to-do list. Mm-hmm. We have five years left of his whole entire life. I mean, if it's not now, when's it going to be? And if you don't establish a relationship with him now, what is your expectation 
for your relationship with him when he becomes a teenager and a young adult. Mm-hmm. If you don't establish it now. Why are you, are you expecting that you're going to be close when he gets older? If you never spend time with him now, mm-hmm. I mean, I really had to go there, but, and it was, you know, eight years of pent up frustration, but I was trying to really have it in this, in this open way of like, I'm not yelling at you. I'm not condemning you. I'm not just shaking my finger and being like, you should be a better grandmother, but I'm trying to appeal to the very real actual issue, which is you're not spending any, any time with your grandchildren. And if you don't spend time with them, you're not going to have a relationship with them and they are not going to have memories of spending time with you that they're, they're being robbed of that. And I mm-hmm. think that it's being lost on you a little bit. And, um, we did have a really big shift after that conversation. And she has been a lot more uh, forthcoming about asking to keep the boys and willing. And I, you know, I said, I, I don't ask you to watch them because when I ask you act like it's the most inconvenient thing that's ever been asked of you. And I mean, really most of the time when we would ask, I would make my husband like, how bad is that? I would make my husband ask my mom yes. to kids because I could not handle hearing the disappointment in her voice. It was so hard for me. Yes. And, but I finally had to tell her that I don't ask you if you notice Raymond is always the one who asks you because I'm not willing because this is your reaction. And it's really upsetting to me that you react that way when I ask you this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you brought up something that I really I, I really love. And you talked about expectations. So, um, asking what their expectations are in a ser- in a scenario like that with grandparents, asking what their expectations are for the future. What do you think that, what do you want right now for your relationship to look like when they're in their twenties, in their thirties? And if they have it in their mind that, well, they're going to, we're going to see them on Christmas and they're going to call me and check in. And, you know, they're going to have this in their mind, they want to have this close knit relationship with them. Well, then what are you doing right now to cultivate that relationship now in order for it to be a relationship when they're in their twenties, thirties, you know, when they're, when they're older. So I think that was a really, really good point. And also, um, if, if her expectations are not that if they're a little bit lower or a lot lower then you know, okay, if your expectations are to not really be a big part of their life, then now I understand why you're making the decisions that you're making right now, you know, and maybe you don't necessarily need to express that, but I'm just kind of processing what you're talking about, you know, and then you can better understand it. Maybe you can accept it because now you know what their long-term expectations are, or even what their short-term expectations are. And the same for you, you can say, you know, my expectations when I just, when we decided to have children and become a mom and, you know, be close to family and have you guys around was ABC, but really, you know, what's kind of happening is X, Y, Z. So what are your expectations and where can we meet in the middle to have, have an easier, cohesive relationship? I mean, yes. If you could have a conversation like that, but what happens when that, what happens when the person you're talking to gets defensive, how do you handle that? Because I'm going to just use personal examples. Cause that's all I have to go off of. And in my relationship with my mom is also, I love her. She's, she's wonderful, but we struggle or we really struggle with our relationship. Um, and so if I bring things like that up, she gets very defensive angry, 
defensive, shuts down. And I've tried multiple ways. I've tried tough love. I've tried, you need to change. I've tried, I understand. I've tried, you know, I've tried multiple ways. Um, And so how do you handle, I mean, I probably have never handled it perfectly. I probably have never handled it correctly, but how do you handle it when they are defensive like that? And they kind of come back at you. Well, you, Julie, you do this. So whatever. Yeah. Well, and that was something that she, she tried a couple of times in that conversation. Like when she said, well, you guys are just so irresponsible when you drop them off. And instead of, you know, yelling or arguing it exactly, I just said, mom, that's a really unfair assessment of the situation. That's not accurate. You know, and I didn't yell and say, that's not true. That's not what we do. We always come back. But I started with, was that statement accurate or not? No, that was not, that was not an accurate assessment of how this has happened. It's happened this way. And so from that, she said, well, you know, it would just help me a lot if I knew when you were coming back. And I said, well, I am very, very willing to give you a timeline and to text you if I think that it's going to go over for some reason, or if I, you know, maybe I thought we were going to come back at eight, but I'm hoping maybe we could come back at nine. And so my way of trying to meet her need is to be more communicative when we're gone, is to text her a little bit more and say, like, maybe she kept this happened at Valentine's Day two years ago or something, she was keeping them. And we went to a restaurant. Valentine's day just happened to be on, it was a Friday or a Saturday night nightmare. So I was not anticipating this. So we get to the restaurant and it was a full hour wait to be seated. Hmm. And I had not calculated that into my plans. And so I sent her a text message and said, they're telling us it's going to be an hour wait before we can ever get seated are you okay with it, uh, you know, with us coming back a little later? She said, yeah, that's fine. No problem. Don't worry about it. But recognizing that for her, one of the stress points was feeling like she didn't know what was going on and feeling like she didn't have a good handle on what the plan was. And, you know, for me, in my mind, if I was the grandparent, I, I don't imagine that I would be that overly concerned, but if that's what bothers her, okay, if that's what we need to do to to make it work. And one of the things that I talk about in my book a lot in the dealing with conflict section is to try to get to the root of what the real problem is. Hmm. Oh, you know, is the real problem that you're, because I had never just dumped the kids on them and not come back. Why did she say that to me? Is that some sort of a weird fear in the back of her head? I don't know where she would get that from, but- Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, is that what's bothering her? Is that why she gets so weird about this? And I know, you know, backing up my boys being 12 months apart, that's really overwhelming. Um, Right. That is a lot for anybody. I mean, even (laughs) I think until... I think until the older one was probably four and a half, even my husband and I, if, if he said, I'm going to go to the store, I would be like, you're going to, you're going to leave me here. You're leaving me. (laughs) You know, it's a lot, you know, and vice versa. So I get it. And there were times, and my mom has said to me so many times, you know, I can't watch the kids because your father's not going to be here. And I'm like, you raised three kids. I'm only giving you two kids. What in the world? You know, but something in her mind, it's just really overwhelming. Maybe boys, 
And I don't know, but you can kind of go through this process. Why is this so overwhelming to her? And is there something that I can do to help make it less overwhelming? So Mm -hmm. for my mom, if my dad, now that they're older and now that she's kept them more and she feels more confident in her ability to handle them by herself, she's not as worked up about it. Mm -hmm. But when we first started this process, I just had to understand if my dad was not going to be there to help, it was going to be a no. Right. Or I needed to ask her, I needed to say, Raymond and I would like to have a date night soon. What day works for you? And she would have to tell me, you know, well, we can do next Saturday. Your dad will be here to help me. Mm-hmm. And we had to go off of what, what she felt like she could handle. And then with the text messages, I'm really, my kids are good kids. And she tells me all the time, they're so well-behaved. They're so perfect. I just love them so much. And I'm like, and why is it so difficult for me to get you to right. keep? Um, but any, anytime somebody's coming at you in any situation and you're just thinking, this is so unreasonable. I don't understand why you're reacting this way. My mind at this point starts to play the investigator. What's mm-hmm going on here? Why is this, why are you so resistant to this? Or why, why is this making you that upset? Or why is this so overwhelming to you? Because it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And to try to understand and to ask those questions, mom, you seem really overwhelmed by the prospect of keeping the boys. And I don't exactly understand why, why is that so overwhelming to you? Mm -hmm. Maybe she says something that's totally out of left field that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know where it came from, but, but we can start to have that conversation and with anybody. And I, in home health, I get people all the time. They're yelling at me. They're screaming at me. I tell them one little thing and they fly off the handle. And I think, why did that make you that upset? That was not a reasonable reaction to what I said, or that wasn't a reasonable reaction to my request. And the first thing that I'll do is say, Hey, you seem really overwhelmed right now. What's going on? Or you seem really anxious. What's going on? Or Mm -hmm. you you seem really, really angry right now. And I don't exactly understand why. Can you help me understand why that made you so upset? Mm -hmm. I had a patient the other day that, um, you know, not to get totally off topic, but maybe to bring it with a little bit more context that he, um, he had had a, an amputation of his big toe and it had happened really fast. He he was relatively young as far as my patients go. He was in his mid to late 40s mm-hmm. and otherwise in pretty good health. I mean, he had diabetes and he was a little over. I mean, he was overweight, but not just terribly overweight. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have any other big medical issues. And one of the problems when you have an amputation is you cannot put weight on that foot It makes it very difficult for the foot to heal. And so when I asked him to get up and walk with his walker, he was pretty much just walking on that foot. And so I had this conversation with him where I said, you are non-weight bearing on that foot. Those are the doctor's orders. Um, You're going to have to hop. You know, you basically have to use the walker like crutches. You push it forward and then you do a little hopping, push Mm -hmm. it forward, do a little hop. And it's not convenient. And it's right. Yeah. It it makes your arms tired, but he got so upset, like withdrawn. He looked like he was about to cry. He kind of emotionally shut off to me. 
And I was like, whoa, what? Why, why are you so upset about this? And, and I was trying to kind of joke a little, trying to make a little like, oh, you know, you're going to get some really great triceps. You're going to have some big guns for the ladies, you know? And he was like, yeah, I've had those before. They didn't do me any good. And he was mad. Mm. And I finally just had to say, I, f- I feel like I have just really, really upset you with this information, but I don't understand why you're so upset. Can you help me figure out why you're so upset about this? Cause I mean, really, I'm not trying to make that like that. That's not really that big of a deal mm-hmm. for me you to hop. I mean, you can do it. You're physically capable of doing it. Why, are, why are you so upset? And what it came down to was that he was really upset and really overwhelmed that he felt like there was a doctor who had been monitoring his blood sugars, helping him. And he basically just felt like he'd fallen through the cracks that the people that were supposed to be monitoring him didn't, that they put him out for a month instead of his normal weekly appointment. And then within that month, something happened that caused, you know, him to have to have an amputation of his big toe. Mm -hmm. And then, the doctor didn't come in to check on him for three days after the surgery. And then he gets sent home. And then here I am with the the straw that broke the camel's back. It was one thing. He was, his bedrooms upstairs. He had to do a makeshift bedroom in the living room because he couldn't get up the stairs because, you know, and it was just that it was too much. It was just the final straw that it was one more thing. He was having to change one more thing that he didn't know because I was the first person that was explaining to him. He's, I, you know, he knew what his weight bearing status was. He was able to tell it to me, but he didn't know what it meant and he didn't know how to implement it. And when I had told him about it, I was saying, if you don't do this, it can delay the healing. It could bust the wound back open. It could make it a lot harder for you to recover. It could create more problems. And I wasn't trying to scare him. I thought he'd already been told this. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to just help him understand how important it was, but come to find out this was all new information. And it was one more thing that his doctor had failed to tell him. Hmm. And it was one more reason that something could go wrong that he was not aware of. Mm -hmm. And, but it came down to him emotionally just shutting down and getting really angry and upset over something that didn't seem like it should have been that big a deal. So time that I'm encountering someone and their reaction is not making a lot of sense to me. That is, it's like a huge red flag. Something else is going on here and I need to see if I can figure out what it is. Right. Hey mama friend, I just wanted to take a second and remind you about my mama mindset reset challenge. It's absolutely free. There's no cost for this challenge. It's something that I put my heart and soul into a tool for you to reset your mindset, to start improving your life on your own terms, in your own way, under the constraints of this challenge. It's three phases. It is a challenge. It's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to help you grow. So if you're curious about it, please hop onto my website, amycothran.com. It explains it in more detail. If you haven't listened to the podcast that does explain it in detail, my words explaining the 
what, why, and how of the challenge. Hop on and listen to that. And then I also have a couple of other tidbits of information on my Instagram page as well. So when do you start the challenge? You start the challenge today. You start it now. There's no sign up. There's no cost. It's only you holding yourself accountable to change your life. That's what we're doing here. We're taking action. We're taking action over our life. So Mama Mindset Reset Challenge, hashtag MMR Challenge. Let me know when you get started. Send me a DM. I'm so excited to bring this to you. So when you start to, uh, when you start to have these conversations, right? So I've talked to women and myself included, you get like gross feeling. Your stomach starts to turn. You start sweating and your heart starts racing and your mind feels all funny and you get a headache and you feel like your eyes are going to explode. You know, you just get, you're like, (laughs) get yourself all worked up. You need to have this tough conversation with, like you said, like a patient or your mother or a friend who's crossed a boundary or something. And then you just put it off and you put it off and you put it off and then you build it up in your mind. Then you go to approach the conversation. Even if you don't put it off, but you go to approach this conversation, it's a full body freaking reaction and you're going to vomit all over the place and then then you run away. So how do you, how do you calm that? I would, I would call that fight or flight. Absolutely. Fight or flight. So how do you calm that? Because Mm -hmm. I think that's one of our biggest barriers. And, and a lot of this kind of maybe goes down to personality too, but, um, I think some people tend to get more worked up than others, but also maybe it just depends on the topic, but regardless that fight or flight kicks in for anybody, um, regardless of your personality. So how do you Mm -hmm. calm your nerves to prepare Mm -hmm. yourself for the conversation that you're going to have with your patient or your mom? Yes. So you nailed it. It is absolutely a fight or flight response. We are anticipating that there's a possibility that we could be, you know, verbally attacked that by bringing this subject up, by having this conversation that we're, you know, not literally, but we're putting ourselves in danger. We're exposing ourselves to possibly being attacked by that person that we could bring up something difficult and they could just go off the rails and start yelling and screaming and accusing us of stuff and verbally overwhelming us. Yeah. And in anticipation of that, It's you're absolutely right. It's a fight or flight response. And so what I have found to be the most helpful thing is to identify it, give, you know, give it a name and go, oh, I'm having a fight or flight response right now. I do that every single time, whether it's something I'm anticipating a difficult conversation that I'm going to initiate or whether someone's just yelling at me out of the blue. When all that starts to happen, I identify it first and go, oh. I am having a fight or flight response right now. I can feel my racing. I can feel the adrenaline coursing. I can feel my hands shaking. This is fight or flight. Because if you can name it, then you can start to modulate it. It's not just that you're going nuts. It's not that the world is actually ending. It's not, you know, it's, it is a very specific response with a very specific name. It is a fight or flight response. And so if you can recognize that, then you can start to address each of the individual components of that response. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the first thing you'll probably notice is that your heart is beating really fast Mm -hmm. and the best ways to help. And you'd already mentioned this earlier is to take a deep breath because as human beings, when we are stressed or nervous, our, um, 
natural response is to hold our breath. It's, it's the only natural human response I've ever found that is not helpful at all. <laughs> Most of our, you know, natural responses are very great, helpful, protective. That one makes no sense. Right. It's something that we do when we're stressed or nervous, or we're concentrating really hard on something. We hold our breath. And by holding your breath, you are exacerbating that response mm-hmm. um, because you cannot relax. You cannot relax while you've got your breath held. Mm-hmm. So if you can first identify my heart is beating really fast, I need to breathe and start to really connect to your breath and take a full breath in and a full breath out and focus on that for a just two or three breaths even is enough to start to unwind that response and to realize because I'm having a fight or flight response, that jittery, crazy feeling I'm having is adrenaline. And if I can get my breathing to slow down, and if I can get my heart rate to slow down, then the adrenaline will slow down. My body will, you know, eliminate that. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we tend to do a lot when we're nervous is fidget. And that's because of the adrenaline. It causes us to either physically shake or maybe we're just tapping, tapping our foot, tapping our knee, tapping our hands. The problem with doing that is that it enhances that reaction. So if you feel yourself nervously shaking your foot because you're stressed, mm-hmm. you need to tell yourself, stop it. Mm-hmm. Be still as a statue. You have to become really centered and really calm and really still so that your body can calm down. Okay. So, um, so when someone is yelling at me, I will recognize my, my heart is racing. I need to breathe. I need to take several breaths. I need to focus on trying to get my heart rate to slow down. If I'm moving around a lot, I tell myself, stop, be still as a statue. And I just get really still. If you're having to move some, let's say you're sitting at a desk and you're having to type on a keyboard or you're having to drop something. uh, Oftentimes people will drop things or become very clumsy when this is happening. And that's, again, it's part of the fight or flight response, our coordination and our sense of timing Uh, becomes less precise when we're having that response. And so the way that you modulate it is to purposefully move more slowly, is to purposefully pick that pin up with it. You know, I am picking this pin up. I am putting it down on the desk. I am moving my hand to the keyboard. And I will really, when I'm, when somebody's really, truly screaming at me, which unfortunately has happened a lot between retail and collections and healthcare Mm -hmm. would like, I always, I will talk myself through the motions that I'm having, because the more you can slow yourself down, the more the whole thing starts to notch its way down. But the other thing that you can do as far as verbally is to make sure that your voice is soft and calm because we as humans, our brains are hardwired to mirror whatever's happening in front of us. So if you have ever, uh, you know, gone to a party that's really, or some sort of social event that's really loud, you're just going to start, Hey, how are you? Ah," You know, and you're just kind of getting really loud and really obnoxious and really, you know, you know, because that's what everybody around you is doing Mm -hmm. as 
if you walk up to, let's say a total stranger on the street walks up to you and goes, Hey, what are we doing right now? You're going to go, I don't know. What are we doing? You're going to lean in. You're going to get really quiet. You're going to whisper back because until you figure out why this person is whispering, your brain is telling you, we need to whisper right now. Something's going on. And so if that person is being really loud to you and you can be really quiet, quiet in response. So when somebody is yelling at me, I will get a lot more quiet. Maybe I might cut my volume in half Mm -hmm. because it forces them to have to calm down enough and lean in and focus on me to hear what I'm saying and to, to listen. And I do this with my kids. So when my kids are really ratcheted up, you know, maybe one of them hit the other one or took a toy or Uh, My little one does have a bit of uh, anxiety issues where he gets himself really worked up and it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to get him to calm down. I will practically whisper to him like, Hey, Hey, I need you to calm down. Can you calm down? I mean, I will get so quiet. I can barely hear myself Mm -hmm. forces him to calm down in Mm -hmm. order to match what I'm doing. So when When you're anticipating having those really difficult conversations, making sure that your energy is very calm and very collaborative. I want a conversation with you because I want us to figure this out together. Mm -hmm. I want both of us to be in a better place with this. I want us to both get our needs met. You're not accusing, you're not yelling, and you're not just telling that person, we need to do this. You need to do that. You never do this. I'm mad that you always this. Mm -hmm. When you can go to them quiet and calm and say, Hey, I've got this thing that I need to talk to you about. I'm actually really stressed that I'm even bringing it up because I don't want you to be upset. And I don't want this to be a really tense conversation, but it's on my heart that I really need to talk to you about this because it's important to me. Can we, you know, is there somewhere we can go where we can have a conversation? Mm-hmm kind of set the expectation and you've been really honest and you opened it with some vulnerability. I'm really, I need to talk to you. It's important to me to talk to you. I'm really stressed out that I'm even bringing this up, mm-hmm. but it's that important to me that I really need to talk to you. And mm-hmm. so are, you've set that person up that you're not going to yell. You're not going to attack them. You're just bringing something to their attention. That's really important to you. And it automatically kind of endears them to you and makes them want to collaborate and want to see what they can do to, to get to the other side of that conversation. Yeah. So you're essentially setting the tone and then they mirror it off of you. So I find that very interesting and the movement, the fidgeting side. So I reflect back on some of the worst arguments that I've had. I've actually been over the phone. Right. Um, And what am I doing the whole time? I'm supposed to be calming down. I'm pacing, I'm walking. So all I'm doing is, you know, maybe angry cleaning or something, even while (laughs) I'm on the phone, which is terrible, but all I'm doing is getting my heart rate up more and more and more and more to the point where, I mean, I can just see this. I I can see how this has played out in the past for me because I am not giving myself the opportunity to calm down based on my physical movement. So I want to calm down and I know I need to, but in my mind, I'm like, I need to pace because I have this energy that I need to get out. But all I'm doing is actually the opposite is getting my heart rate up. Is that 
kind is that true? Yeah. I mean, is that okay? Exactly. Okay. Yes. That's very, um, that's very helpful for me personally, because I start to get like, yeah, very fidgety. I start to get, um, very anxious. And so I, I start to move, right. I start to mm-hmm. pace and walk around the house or I grab the broom and I'm like, you know, with my phone in my ear, I'm like talking and sweeping at the same time, Yes, <laughs> but all yeah. I'm doing is just getting my heart rate up more. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. That's very helpful. Um, that's a very helpful piece of advice. Um, so I want to talk about something that I feel like all of us moms and stay at home moms are struggling with. And that's like integrating back into the real world after you have a baby. So, you know, we're, so we're going to kind of go backwards a little bit in this conversation because to get to the point to have a tough conversation like that with your husband, you know, with a friend or even just conversing in general, Mm-hmm. I struggled with, and I have talked to so many moms. In fact, one of my really good friends, uh, recently had a baby, um, and she was messaging me the other day and she's back at work and she's like, I don't even know where the hell my brain went. She's like, can't, I can't even think I can't form words. I can't articulate a thought. She's mm-hmm. a very intelligent woman. And it, and it's, you know, we call it brain fog. But I feel like it's, and step in at any time, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's almost a lack of confidence that happens. I kind of feel like it's maybe two things, a lack of confidence because we're not exactly sure who we are anymore. And we're not exactly sure what to talk about sometimes, because all we have really is the most important thing in our life at that moment, which is our beautiful baby or our children. And Mm -hmm. so we have this lack of confidence in who we are and what we can talk about, but we also have this, I just had a brain, total brain fade. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I didn't. I had two points that I was bringing up. What did I say earlier, Julie? I said, just not being able to finish a sentence. (laughs) Case in point freaking right here. Oh, but it was what that was when you, yes. Yes. Like then where do you go? But it's, you know, so you have that lack of confidence. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. I'm not even editing that out. I'm leaving that there because this is like literally mom life. Um, I, you know, you want to know what happened just there? The microwave went off upstairs. So I'm like, Oh, does somebody need to get that? Yes. But you know what? That's exactly like, can I just jump in? Because that's what I was going to say. Yes. So Yes, I do think that, uh, you know, a lot of moms go through it through an identity shift, but I would, I want to answer this question from a very anatomical standpoint, because I guess being a physical therapist and being in healthcare, my, uh, my knowledge of the human body and how it works and how it all kind of comes together informs a lot of my thoughts and opinions when it comes to this. So, so what I have to say may or may not be true for everybody, but here are some really hard facts. True facts is that if you are not getting enough quality sleep every night on a regular basis, your body at every single level is not functioning optimally. 
Your brain is not functioning optimally. Your sleep is such an important part of our brain's ability to process and retain information. Hmm. You're not getting good sleep, which most moms, especially in those first couple of years, even if the baby is sleeping through the night, you are so hypervigilantly listening with one ear even when you're asleep, even when they're asleep, you're just listening for a crash, bang, boom. You're, you're listening for the little feet that are going to patter across the door and, Mm -hmm. you know, start the microwave that you are not falling into a really deep REM sleep every single night, getting, getting a good night's sleep here and there is still chronic sleep deprivation. Mm. And that's something that moms suffer from so much. Um, And so I think in the first, in the first bit and pregnancy brain is real. They've done all kinds of research to show uh, that when a mother, I think from the sixth month of pregnancy until about six months postpartum, um, possibly longer than that, it's been a minute since I've read that paper, uh, that the, the ability to process and retain information, the base cognitive functioning is less because of it. Everything else that your body is going through and everything that your mind is going through and very much probably because of the sleep deprivation, it's a real thing. And I think sometimes just knowing that what you're going through is real can be so validating that you, it it takes the pressure off. You're not crazy. You're not weird. There's not something wrong with you. It is a natural part of the process. You know what? My brain's just not firing on all cylinders right now. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And Goodness, everybody in this room can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, you know, you hear a mom say, oh, I've got a three month old, and you know, you know where that mom's at. Right. You know what she's going through. Yes. And, you know, you're not judging her if she can't think of a word. You're going, girl, I've been there. Mm-hmm. So if you can recognize every mom who has ever lived has gone through this, this is normal, it's natural, it's okay, and it's not permanent. Mm-hmm. I, They'll be able to, you know, to get back to me, but in this exact period of time, it just is what it is. So don't fight it. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, just roll with it and don't, don't try to fight it. The more you try to fight it, the worse it is. But as moms, and I think that this just goes on and on and on because, you know, my kids are eight and nine and I still do this constantly is that our ability to focus on one thing and stay focused on that one thing is non-existent right because we are so we are so hyper-focused as moms on everything Mm -hmm. I mean you can't hardly have one conversation on one topic and just stay there Mm -hmm. because you know like trying to have a conversation with your husband and the the toddler comes in 15 times going cookie puzzle he hit me I fell and have to continuously diverge what you're talking about to attend to this and then try to come back to it. And if you've seen any of the research on multitasking and how that's not a real thing, it's not a real thing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, you know, you see all these, uh, all these things that talk about efficiency with, um, maybe you, maybe you're a business owner and you're talking about batching tasks, Mm -hmm. um, thing about, an email, every time you stop to read an email, it takes you 30 minutes to get back on task mm-hmm. like that. Our brains are not very good at constantly being pinged with outside information. But as a mom, 
What did they eat last night? Oh crap, did they take their homework to school this morning? Oh, he said he had that test today. What time did he go to bed last night? Did he get enough rest? Did he eat breakfast? I didn't even ask him if he ate breakfast this morning. I mean, you're just constant. It's constant. What was that noise? What was that? I heard somebody yell, but I didn't hear anybody scream. Should I go check on it? No, the microwave went off. Did somebody get that? Where's the food? I mean, seriously, (laughs) no wonder you can't have a conversation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking back, like when I was, um, you know, when you're nursing and you're breastfeeding. So I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking back to when like we had first had kids or every time I've had a new baby, honestly, and I go to a party or I go somewhere and, or on an outing, even if it's with family and I'm nursing the baby, but I'm trying to nurse the baby. And then I'm, I really want to have a conversation with this person. And then I'm like, wait, what were we talking about again? Or I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I can't think of that word. I can't even remember that person's name or whatever. And I'm like, why can't I focus on this one thing? I should be able to nurse the baby and have this conversation or whatever. But I mean, I'm just now realizing after we were talking about this, this is like, that's multitasking and we're not able to fully do that. I mean, even if you have a baby latched on properly and you're nursing and it's okay, they're still like moving around. They're still touching you. They're still going to like reach up and play with your hair. They're going to pull themselves off and you have to readjust them. I mean, nursing is of full activity. And then you're trying to have a conversation with another human being at the same time. So, I mean, it's no wonder that that's just not possible. I mean, you can have that conversation, but you need to be, like you said, give yourself that grace and understanding of what's Mm -hmm. actually going on right now is that you're not going to be able to do a hundred percent of both of those things at the same time. So just recognizing that. So that is having like realistic expectations of yourself. (laughs) Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. I love that you dove into it that way because I, I, we want reasons, right? We want tangible, actual reasons, not just, well, you're a new mom. So it's okay. It's like, no, your body is actually doing something right now for a very specific anatomical reason. And here's why. So Right. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, so going, go, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because, you know, okay. So new baby, we've moved past that. Now we're going to go out with friends. Okay. We're going to go out with girlfriends, especially stay at home moms. And it mm-hmm. is my goal and my desire to not talk about my children when I go out on, I mean, I'm with them all the time. And a lot of my working moms, my working mom friends, they want to talk about their kids because they're not with them all the time and, or whatever Uh the conversation is genuinely, but I want to have an intelligent conversation with the person that's sitting in front of me. And I find myself tripping over my words. Okay. So my sleep is okay. You know, maybe I, I have toddlers now, so sleep is going okay, but I have spent my whole day talking in toddler lingo, you know, and I don't, we don't baby talk to our children, but there is a way to talk to, and this is like, this is proven. This is science, how you talk to children in order to get them to calm down is you call it like caveman status. That's, that's what, um, Oh, what's his name? It's from the happiest baby on the block. Best book I've ever read. Yes, I t- so good. Totally did that with our kids. I know exactly. Exactly. Yes. So you book for anybody who needs one. It's great. Yeah. So you get down to their level, right? So you're not baby talking and you're not enabling 
illiterate behavior, but you have to reason with them and they don't understand. Yes. They don't understand Mm -hmm. great big words. So you have to, Mm -hmm. I see you're mad, mad, mad. It's okay. You know, or, you know, Lily's angry. You wanted that candy. You wanted Mm -hmm. that candy. And so Mm -hmm. you can't talk to your girlfriends like that. You might not have friends for very long if you did, right? No, I see you wanted that cocktail. You wanted the second cocktail. You wanted that. You are mad, cocktail. mad, mad. <laughs> So how do you- That's amazing. Right? So like, how do you transition from my full-time career is toddler talk and like talking to, yeah. you know, seven and five is like, they're very, they're very literate now, but like, how do you, but when they were younger, I- struggled so much to transition Mm -hmm. out of having a conversation and genuinely even talking to a seven, five-year-old is different intellectual conversation than it is for an adult. So for me to go have an intellectual conversation with an adult and be providing in this conversation is challenging for me. Podcasting Mm -hmm. has been a great outlet for me. It has been, but I have, I have to really work on how I use my words, which words I choose, the depth of the conversation that I want it to go in. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I'm getting more and more comfortable with it, but I get very anxious. You and I were talking earlier in, uh, before we started recording that when all of this started happening years ago and I was a younger mom and the kids were a little bit younger, I would go into a social setting and I would immediately feel like I have to have a glass of wine to calm my nerves down. And it would take one to two glasses of wine for me to calm down enough to Mm -hmm. feel, and maybe a little bit of it was feeling adult enough. Like maybe having Mm -hmm. wine made me feel like a grown up again and, or adult beverage or whatever, but that wasn't healthy. And I knew that. And I was like, I need to be able to have this situation figured out without alcohol is my crutch or, you know, so Mm -hmm. I know I just kind of went off on a whole tangent there, but dive in, let me know what you think. Cause I know I'm not the only one I've had this conversation with so many moms and so many women, especially stay at home moms when our full-time job is tiny humans all day long with typically not even a break until our husbands get home. And then we verbal vomit to them, you know? (laughs) Yes. So this is, uh, you know, again, it's, it's my, this is my experience is the thing, the thing that's happening when, when you have kids, I mean, again, my kids are eight and nine and this still happens. I mean, this is not just baby stage, toddler stage. It's that, that parenting your child, being there and parenting them is incredibly overstimulating. It is unbelievably overstimulating if you really, truly start to pay attention to how much noise there is, how much chaos there is, how, how, much, um, how much you're getting touched, how much you're getting asked for things, how much your attention is being split because you're trying to do this and they're asking you for this. And it is so overstimulating. And when your brain is super overwhelmed and overstimulated and there's just way too much stimuli coming in, and then you try to just transition to this completely other situation, mm-hmm. you're reeling from the first thing. And so what I have found for me is that taking a moment to actually carve out some time to, for me, it's meditation. 
I, I'm a big meditator and I really love the calm app because they have those daily 10 minute meditations, but they also have just nice sounds like ocean waves or rain, or, um, they have this one classic music. That's my favorite. It's piano covers, really calm piano covers. And if I can set a timer on my phone for 10 or 15 minutes and listen to one of those meditations or just a calm, relaxing sound. It's almost like you don't even realize how tense you are until you actively do something to calm yourself down. And then you can just let it all go. But when your brain is so overstimulated, it makes it very difficult to concentrate. And then you go into a really chaotic situation, like a loud, crowded room full of people trying to socialize. It's just that much more stimulus coming in. Mm -hmm. You never took the time to get yourself down to baseline first, Mm -hmm. but that's what the glass of wine was probably doing for you is helping to damper that overstimulation to Mm -hmm. the where you felt like you could start to function again. Mm -hmm. It it was your way of, of recognizing if I, if I have this drink, it's going to chill me out Mm -hmm. and can chill out, then I can function. Yes. So if you can, you know, if you're looking for a different way Mm -hmm. for me personally, it's, it's meditation, but it doesn't have to be that it could be 10 minutes of walking quietly, you know, in your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. it could be, you know, listening to your favorite song for a few minutes. It could be anything that's going to help you to, to uh, check back in with yourself mm-hmm. and just kind of gather your thoughts and put some space between you and that really chaotic day. Um, and this was something, um, this is something that I have had to learn to ask my husband for, because uh, now with him being back in school, we're not there, but for the previous three years, he was the stay at home dad. So he was the one getting bombarded all day long and having nobody to talk to except kids. Mm -hmm. I would get home and he was the one verbally dumping on me. And my problem was that my days do have a lot of chaos to them. I work in home health. So I get in my car and I drive to one patient's house. I get done there and I drive to the next patient's house. I get done there and I drive to the next patient's house. I don't have an office. I'm not going to the same places every day. I have to eat my lunch in my car, either while I'm driving in between patients or maybe pulled over on the side of the road or in like a gas station parking lot or Mm -hmm. maybe somebody's house early and sit in their driveway and cram a peanut butter and banana sandwich. Mm -hmm. Like my day does not stop. And the whole time that I'm doing my day, I'm getting calls from the office, from my colleagues, from doctor's offices, from other patients. Maybe I'm trying to keep calling that one patient that I never got a hold of. Mm -hmm. It's chaos, chaos, chaos all day long. And then I get home and I have charts that I have to finish up. And so it's like more and patients that I need to call for the next day because I have to set my own schedule and I have to do it every single day. Mm -hmm. So I was getting home totally overstimulated from my day with no real way to wrap it up. When I worked in outpatient, the patients would all leave. I would go into my office. I would wrap up all my notes right there in peace and quiet, wrap the day with a bow 
and go home and mm-hmm. forget until the next day. Mm-hmm. Have that luxury in home health. And so I was coming home super overstimulated, pretty stressed out a lot of the time. And then I'm walking in to my kids running around, jumping, playing video games, zooming. Hey mom, look at this. Look what I did. And he's going, Hey, how was your day? I watched this video on YouTube and I did this. And I, I mean, it was so overwhelming that I just was getting to the point where I was, I was having a problem. Mm -hmm. So to the point where I had to say, honey, I really want to, to be here, but in order to truly be here, I'm going to sit in my car for 15 minutes when I get home. Cause I love him to death. And it was out of just, Hey, I'm so glad you're home, but he would like come out to the car and like, help me get my stuff and walk my stuff in and so sweet and loving. But I had to finally put a boundary there and say, when I get home, I just need you to just let me sit in my car until I'm ready to come in. Mm -hmm. I need 10 or 15, some days, 20 minutes to just decompress and shift gears before I can come in and be the wife and mom. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in a social situation like that, it's kind of the same thing. You've got to create this, this, this moment to decompress and adjust and shift before you try to get into that next thing. Mm -hmm. I think that you would find that it was a lot more successful if you were able to take that time. Yeah, I think so. You know, cause I'm, I'm just thinking if we're going to, you know, a Christmas party, you know, we'll just, cause it's getting close to the holidays. If we're going to a Christmas party or something, I was kind of running that scenario through my head as you were talking, like if I would just take five minutes, even in the car with Brad, before I just dove into like my checklist to do list of topics I want to talk about with him. I watched this video today. I learned this today. I talked about this on my podcast or, you know, this person messaged me, the girls did this, my long list of things where I'm feeling like I need to check the boxes almost in our conversational to-do list. Mm -hmm. But if I just took a couple of minutes and kind of gathered my thoughts and then, then we kind of started having a conversation and then maybe we take five minutes before we go into a Christmas party and we just sit in the parking lot and I just kind of gathered my thoughts, slowed down my breathing, kind of did like a, almost like a, a meditative practice without doing a full meditation but you just relaxed, maybe did some positive self-talk. Like you've got this, you're an intelligent person. You can have this conversation. It's going to be fun. You know, maybe something like that before I go yeah. into these situations. Cause you're right. Like as moms we're it's always the next thing. And we're always thinking ahead. We have to be five steps ahead. So yep. when you wake up in the morning, you're already thinking about what you're making for breakfast, lunch, and dinner from the time you roll out of bed and my eyes pop open and I'm already thinking about what I need to do that afternoon before I even crawled out of bed and physically got myself going. So I'm always further ahead than I am in that present moment. So I'm already thinking like, what am I going to pay the babysitter before I even got into the party? So if you could just take a minute, regroup, sit in the quiet, focus on, okay, I understand that it's difficult for me to have conversations with adults right now at times. So what I need to do is regroup and think about that. The kids are fine. I've had my whole day with them. No more kid talk. It's adult mode now. You know, it's not necessarily mom mode. It's conversationalist. It is podcast host. It is, 
you know, wife, it is friend. It is, you know, it's Mm -hmm. adult woman. Maybe that's the best way to put it is like adult female, Mm -hmm. intellectual adult female having a conversation, like, like your pre-funk, like, what do you call that? Like putting on Rocky before you like start doing a workout or something. But what I'm hearing is it's, it takes a, a little bit of intention or it takes intentionality a, and it takes time B. So like five minutes, maybe could help. Like you said, 10, 15 minutes. Um, I think it's really interesting that you said that too, about you coming home because Brad and I have that conversation. Um, that was a problem for us when he was coming home on the flip side, you know, I needed to understand he was stimulated all day long, phone ringing, emails, buzzing, all this stuff going on just in a different way. And so what we did is we started talking about how can he use his 30 minute drive home as his way to decompress. And so some days maybe it's not listening to the radio. It's not listening to a podcast or an audio book. It is decompressing and evaluating the day and then leaving it at the door. So when he does come down the driveway, he's more willing to accept the big hugs from the kids when they come out there. Um, and so we've, we've done the same thing. Cause that was a need. He would walk in the door and he was completely unprepared for me. And I would attack him, you know, like yeah. I, we need to do these things. Can you help me with this? Guess what happened during the day? Gracie did this. Olivia did that blah, 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 blah. blah. And he's like, wow, yeah. holy cow. I want to be I want to transition out of, you know, working man to husband and father, but I need some time to do that. And we've, we've tried a couple of different ways. Um, when we lived in Lewiston, he would take a shower right away when he came home. And that's what my husband does is he's like, I just need to go take my shower. When he's done with the shower, it's like, he's there. Yep. Yep. And, and so we, we, he did that for a while. Um, and he's done that in the past. If he's had a, a really a hard day. Um, there's been times it's rare, but he'll come home and say, I, I need a shower first today. Totally fine. Um, but we've had, we've had to communicate about it, what works for us. And so what works for Julie, what works for you and your husband is different than what works for Brad and I, and what's going to work. It's going to work differently for other people that have, you know, different roles and responsibilities and duties. But I think one of the biggest things that we can take from that is you need to communicate your needs you need to advocate for yourself and talk about that. So schedule the time to have the chat and then sit down and actually have the chat um, and, and advocate for yourself with that personal boundary. Did I follow that right? <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. And it yeah. was, and that's what you did was exactly what I'd been saying, where he said, today I need a shower. And his ability to recognize and communicate his needs and for you guys to be coming at that collaboratively. Like, Mm -hmm. I love you. I want to spend time with you. But if you need to go take a shower, yeah, babe, go take a shower. I'll see you in 20 minutes. It's fine. You know, or if he comes in, he says, I need a shower. And you're like, cool. But my day has left my head spinning. And when you get done with your shower, I need a shower. Mm Like, okay, that's what you need. That's what you get. You know, Mm -hmm. it's exactly like, yes, you nailed it. That's awesome. So in your book, I want to talk about it for just a second. I want to ask you a couple questions about that because I'm curious. I have not read the book yet because we just, just scheduled this interview. So I haven't even had a chance to order it and then have it, but um, it's on my to-do list, which I'm so excited about because I feel like there's so many 
types of conversations that I've had that I could have used some help to navigate that. So in your book, are there specific examples or scenarios of, um, you know, like could if, okay. So if I was having an issue with a friend, we'll just say, since this is a mom podcast, my friend just had a miscarriage. This didn't happen, but we're going to use it as an, as an example. My friend just had a miscarriage and I'm not sure how to handle this conversation. So I'm avoiding her, but what I really want to do is have an, have a conversation with her. I mean, is there a way for us to say, I have a specific example. How do I handle this? Yes. So in the last part of the book, that's the caregiver burden, illness and death, Mm -hmm. it goes over those really, really touchy subjects that people tend to run away from because they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that they end up saying nothing. But as we all know, that creates so much isolation in the Mm -hmm. person that help and isn't getting it. And I do bring up miscarriage specifically Mm -hmm. um, because section where I went over, um, you know, death and grief, I actually break that down into categories because there's so many different ways that we can experience grief. And each one of those ways, in my opinion, uh, can benefit from a slightly different approach. Mm-hmm. So if someone loses a pregnancy, that's not the same type of grief as losing a spouse which is not the same type of grief as losing a parent. Mm -hmm. So, and I even break it down further. It's just because of the healthcare and because of everything that I've been through and because of all the different scenarios I've encountered in my job specifically, I break it down into like loss of an older parent versus loss of a younger parent, loss of a older spouse versus a younger spouse, an older child. Um, I do go over, you know, losing a child um, at different ages because I have patients that might be in their mid eighties that they have a child who passes away while they're on my care. And that child might've been in their sixties, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a different dynamic than the loss of a young child. And mm-hmm. so I really, really wanted to break that down for people very specifically, because each of those scenarios is a little different. And in my opinion, benefits from a little bit of a different approach. Mm-hmm. But I think that if, you know, if we want to give like one quick universal thing that you could always say when someone has had a loss, and I do kind of go into the book, I, a little bit of a, a personal soapbox about just using the phrase, I'm so sorry for your loss, because mm-hmm. that it's well-meaning, but there is almost never any real connection that is felt mm-hmm. from that. when people say, I'm so sorry for your loss. It feels so robotic. And I know I try to view it that the person doesn't know what else to say, but it's so easy to change that just a little bit. Um, I have a friend right now that um, actually her grandmother passed away on Friday and they're having the visitation today. The a family that I, I grew up with and, um, you know, I've just, you know, I hate it for her because she's, she's been one of my best friends since I was 11. And, um, you know, and I just said, Jess, I am so sorry for your, I wish that I wish there was no such thing as losing a grandmother. I know that's such a hard loss. I'm thinking of your family. Please let your parents know that I'm thinking of them. Um, You know, I hope that the visitation and everything goes really well and that you're able to see everybody that you want to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, 
And then I also, the at least, I feel very passionately about erasing the phrase at least when someone has had a loss. We always want to jump straight to the good part or to some sort of positive spin on a situation. And in those moments where the person is newly experiencing that grief because it's very fresh, don't try to make it better. It's hey, having that pain and having that grief is part of the process. And when I try to run away from your pain by saying, well, at least they're not hurting anymore, or at least they went quick, or at least this happened. Mm-hmm. What I'm really communicating to you is you shouldn't be as sad as you are because there's, there's a good way to look at it. And I just, I don't feel that that's helpful. I feel like it's so much more helpful to people to say, it breaks my heart that this happened to you. I am so, so sorry that you're going through this right now. And if you're ever at a loss for words, tell them that. Mm-hmm. Just say, I am so sorry that this happened to you. And I I don't know what to do. I want to help you. I want to do or say something to make it better. And I have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. All that person really wants is to know that you care They just want you to express your sympathies and to know that you care, that you care that they're hurting, that you care that they're in pain, that you don't want them to be hurting, that you want to do something to make them better, to make it better. And there may not be anything you can do, but the fact that you're telling them, I wish there was something that I could do to make this better for you. Mm -hmm. They feel that on a really level. And it's, it's so much more helpful and comforting than trying to put a positive spin on it and to try to just immediately make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think as women, we really tend to do that a lot because we're fixers. We want to fix the problem. We're moms. We want to caretake. We want to make everybody happy. Our, our, our sole desire is to just make everybody feel good all the time. And that is something that I have really learned. And maybe that's through maturity or wisdom or something is that it's, it's not going to be my job to make that person feel good. It's my job to let them know that I'm here. Um, but I love that your book gives us those tips and tricks or resources, tools, how to do that, because I find myself at a loss for words a lot because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be the wrong person at the wrong time. Um, in fact, we just lost a very good friend unexpectedly and he left behind a wife and six month old, um, that they had together and she's a stay at home mom. And I was hesitant to reach out because I didn't want to be the person that took up space when she has so much family and so many friends. I'm like, I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to say anything on Facebook messenger. It didn't feel sincere, but then I decided you know what? It's okay for me to say that. It's okay for me to say I was hesitant to reach out because I didn't want to take up space for, you know, your emotional space that I wanted reserved for the closest family and friends within your life. However, I want you to know we're going to be there at the funeral on Saturday. This was a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be there at the service on Saturday. Please let me know if there's anything I can do. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this at this time we're here. Our hearts are with you. And that was it. It, There was no positive spin on it, but I just wanted to be honest with her and in what was going on with me, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like I'm struggling to find the words right now. 
which is what it was. Like, I don't know what to say to her. I don't know what to do for her. And a lot of times you, it's not even really doing anything. It's just, it's just, a you know, a hug. Like I am here. Yeah. This is where yeah. I am. Um, because they don't have the words to say too, is what I, is what I'm finding out is yeah. they don't always have the words to say. And so I, I think that's a great, I think that is a great resource for us to know, okay, I'm having a tough conversation or I, I know I need to have this tough conversation. How do I handle it? So, um, that's, that's great to know about your book. So Julie, we've talked forever. I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) No, I loved it. I love this conversation. So is there anything that we didn't touch on today that you wanted to share with the audience? I think that we really covered the the biggest point since, you know, since your audience is moms and that's, you know, that's really who I just wanted from one mom to another mom. I think the things that over the course of my experience, it's learning how to communicate better with my husband, learning how to express my needs and ask for what I need, learning to have boundaries with my kids. That's Mm -hmm. a tough one. And then having to realize that taking the time to meet my own needs, whether that need is locking the bathroom door, like you Mm -hmm. mentioned, or whether that need is to call for a timeout, like, Hey, I'm tapping out for 30 minutes. I have, I'm about to lose it. I Mm -hmm. need to go take a bath or a shower or whether that's, you know, reaching out to a family member who's maybe not the most supportive and say, I need your help. I need you to take the kids because Raymond and I desperately need a date night right now. Like it's very important to us mm-hmm. and to be able to, to have those difficult conversations. Those are the things that I, I wanted to touch on. I think we got to all of them. So this has been yeah. fantastic. Yes. We talked about a lot and I hope that people were able to maybe take some notes and I really encourage people to purchase your book. And I'm going to, as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to go purchase <laughs> your book because there's been so many times that I, I just, and, and to be honest, we're never taught how to navigate these conversations. You weren't taught this, Julie, you learned from experience. So I love that you're sharing your trial and error experiences with us, because this is something as we were having this conversation, I'm thinking, why the hell don't we learn this in school? Like, why is it? And, and it's because, I mean, there really aren't etiquette classes anymore. Like maybe this was something that we would have learned in an etiquette class or something, but we don't, we are not, we are not taught. We don't learn anymore how to communicate and communicate effectively and with compassion. And so, so thank you for sharing with us. I mean, all of the things that you've learned probably through trial and error, I'm sure Oh yeah, uh, learned the hard way. So thank you for coming on and wanting to share that with all of my mom listeners. And if it comes up, if anybody has any questions, I'll put all of Julie's contact information in the show notes, please Mm -hmm. don't hesitate to reach out to her. Julie, is that okay? I guess that I'm saying that. Yeah, no, that's fine. We can definitely. And uh, if anybody wants just like a quick place to start Mm -hmm. my site will give you everything you need. It's linked to the book and all the socials. I have some free guides on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go to yourconversationexpert.com. That's going to be the best first place to go. Cause you can get everywhere else from there. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah, that's great. And I was just thinking if you end up having a bunch of questions from listeners, or if I mm-hmm. have some question or questions that come up, um, mm-hmm. what we could possibly do is do a live and we could I, like answer mm-hmm. like three of the top questions that you've had. And we could do a quick live, um, do an Instagram live or something like that too. So please send your questions in. I'd love to hear them and I can pass them along to Julie. If you're not sure how to reach out to Julie, but I'll put all of her contact information in the show notes, as well as a link to your book in case people are interested in just buying that directly. So, Mm -hmm. so thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. This has been a blast. I really, truly hope that your listeners enjoy it and find it helpful. Well, I did for sure. I'm, I'm like, okay, I have all of these things that I need to work on now. So, (laughs) all right. Thank you so much, Julie. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, sweet mama. Thank you so much for joining me in today's conversational journey with Julie Crenshaw. She was absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to buy her book. I'm jumping on and ordering that as soon as I possibly can. I encourage you to do so as well, because like she said, at the end of our recording, she does have a broke down to topics. She has a way for you to navigate specific conversations you're interested in navigating if you're not sure how to do that. So if you found value in today's conversation, please, please give Julie a share. She is absolutely incredible. Her abundance of knowledge is only going to support and help other moms support and help other people because you know, Julie and I talked about this after our recording, we weren't taught how to navigate these conversations. Okay. We weren't taught this. So she has learned how to do this through trial and error, which is absolutely the best way to learn something. In my opinion, she had no formal, no formal education on this, but she just knows how to talk to people because of her past, because of her history and because of what she's been through. And I love that she is outpouring that. I love that she's sharing that and she's helping heal people. So jump on her website. Everything is listed in the show notes below. And please, please remember that I support you. I care about you. I love you so much. All of you, all of the people in this community, I hope you have an amazing Christmas this weekend. Hug your family, appreciate your family, find gratitude for your family, and always know that I'm here. Never hesitate to reach out. Please remember from the bottom of my heart that I believe in you, I care about you, and I'm so incredibly proud of each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening today, sweet mama. I look forward to talking to you all again very soon. Hey, mama. Thank you for joining me in today's conversational journey on the mama mindset. If you found value in this episode, please be sure to share it with another mama friend. Another way for us to build this community and help me bring you free quality content is by leaving me a rating and review on iTunes. I bring you new episodes every Monday and Thursday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any. If you'd like to continue the conversation, I encourage you to join the Mama Mindset Facebook group, and I also bring you inspirational and educational content through Instagram as well. As always, please remember that I believe in you, I care about you, and I am so incredibly proud of you. Thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.